What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. It does, Kelly and Mike, thank you very much. Well, Melissa has a well-deserved day off. Welcome, everybody. I'm Brian Sullivan, your traders on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Brian Kelly, and Dan Nathan. Now, that's diversity. Tonight, the scandal rocking Las Vegas, also hammering investors. Wynn Resort sinking nearly 20% since that bombshell story on Steve Wynn came out. We'll tell you what Wall Street is saying about the future of the stock. Plus, one top strategist calling it the great crypto rotation and that could have Bitcoin back in the saddle again. Tom Lee will be here to explain all that ahead. But first, we begin with what appears to be a bit of a breakup. Apple falling again. It is one of only two Dow stocks down this year, and it seems to be diverging from the rest of tech. The XLK, the tech sector ETF, one of them, up 7%. Well, Apple down about 1% in the same time period. Apple has now lost about $50 billion in market cap in the past week. All right, Tim Seymour, is Apple's rally over? And if so, can tech rally without it? Well, first of all, welcome, Brian. And tech tech has been rallying without Apple. If you think about Amazon, Amazon's never been this overbought going into their own earnings this week since 2007, roughly. So if you look at where Apple is trading, and again, just talking about positioning and market momentum, you've got a 27 RSI relative strength indicator on a nine day, which means that Apple sentiment is terrible. You had everything from the, uh, the supply chain rumors to the reality that we know that the fourth quarter or their fiscal Q1, uh, maybe shipments are probably slightly south of 30 million, which for the market, I don't think is great news. But I think a lot of news is already in this stock price. Expectations are extremely low. Of big cap tech, this is as good of a valuation as you have. And nobody's got more levers to pull than Apple on capital markets with a new 18 percent effective well, and tax if, rate. And if you think about exactly what you're saying, what the other names have done going, going into this, going into earnings, they've done really, really well. So you look at Apple. Now, I thought Apple was going to break out. I was wrong about that. 165 becomes really important technically. That, to me, is where your support is. But I look at something like Google or Amazon, and it's not to take anything away from them, but those charts are starting to look like hockey sticks. They're straight up coming into earnings at the very least. You want to take some of those profits, maybe you lock it in with a with a, uh, an option or something like that. But to me, there's more risk in a Google and an Amazon and those names than there is in an Apple going in. 100 percent. I mean, obviously, it's flat on the year. There's your risk level there. I always say to, to Tim, uh, it's not in the stock until it's in the stock. But I think it is this time. He in does the always stock. say that. I never understand what he's saying. It's a, it's, um, it's, it can't anyway. be in there unless you actually see it physically in the fundamentals. You actually see it physically in the quarter. But I think there's been so much speculation on Apple that it's overdone to the downside. I think the algorithms got carried away. This is an important level. The 100-day is 166.70. So watch that level, but I do think it's a buy. Saying, sell so the news, not sell the rumor. Because right now, all you have is reports. Right. Reports say X. Reports say this. Report, you're, buy, you're buying Nothing the news. is known you're, fundamentally. Right. You're buying the news at this point. Or so this once case, it breaks, what, when, how could we say nothing is known fundamentally? I mean, we know that they, for, for a new release, this was the worst release they've ever had. I wasn't arguing with this time. I said this time I agree with you that it is in the stock. It so, is in so, the price. So Brian's disagreeing so, with you. So, uh, yes. Okay, so I, I do believe <laughs> at this point it's a buy the news event. You sold the rumor. Now it's a buy the news event because I think it's all baked in. And you're at some critical levels in, te in the technicals. 
and I do think you see higher prices Well, sooner. I think it's really important when you're talking about like Google, Amazon running into the earnings the way they have. Here's a stock that is clearly trading on fundamentals, and there's been a lot of uh, commentary from the supply chain. That is the news. But the other point is, is that, you know, this is a story that has to actually um, broaden out a little bit, right? So we know that we've spent a lot of time on services. We knew that services grew 30% year over year last quarter, but the problem is it's only 16% of the total. And then you look at these other stuff. So if you're excited about AirPods, and you're excited about HomePod, and you're excited about this other stuff, well, you know what? Last quarter, they'd only made up about 5 or 6% of their total Sounds sales. Sounds like you're not. So what I'm saying is, well, I just ordered two HomePods, but let me tell you something. You order something. everything from Apple. Well, I know, but I mean, they'll go back. They'll go back if it's not worth the 350 just like the iPhone 10 did. But what's really important here is that whole narrative that we heard about for, it seemed like, 18 months in the lead-up of the iPhone 10 was this upgrade super cycle. It's not happening, people. It's a myth. So that's the big problem from a fundamental standpoint, because this phone makes up 70% of the company's sales. So if they can't expand the ecosystem and they can't do it with these higher margin products, then they're going to have a problem. That's why this stock trades at 15 times, but, well below market multiple, and that's why it doesn't look like a hockey but stick. I, I think look, you, you've always been, you've been recently critical that Apple has too many SKUs out there, that yeah. they have too many products. Steve Jobs is turning in his grave. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, they released an iPhone 8 at the same time, and, and actually, they got a lot of move into the 7s, too. So people are definitely upgrading their phones, whether they're going for the 10, because frankly, I'm not sure we know that the 10 is really worth it at this point. So um, I, I don't think you can call this refresh cycle no, but a Tim, bust. The bull case but, I mean, a year ago was extended. that there is 300 million units that are two to three years old that need to be upgraded. The problem the company just did, they might have pulled an epic, epic um, snafu, is that they raised the price point so dramatically. They raised the price point on the 8, 50 bucks year over year. They raised the bottom end on the 10 to $1,000, but most of those were going, people were opting for the 256 GBs, right? And yeah, so to GBs. me, all of a sudden GBs. now, Total. you have yeah. consumers Total thinking down. about an iPhone the way you would think about a laptop. And those upgrade cycles are massively expanded. Uh, and relative I can to tell you from my experience exactly what I did. I walked in wanting the 10, <clears> and I said, you know what? It doesn't have that many more features for a thousand bucks. So I went and got myself the Ocho or the eight. So I think that happened to yeah, everybody. Well, you were coming okay. from a really low. You, no, a I'm, I'm not joking. You, no, seriously, no. you were coming from a really inferior phone. So that was well, enough for seven. you. You oh, also you tried to pay seven. in Bitcoin. And they didn't know what I mean, you were talking about. I mean, right, let, let, let's let's take this two, out, Chad. Two, 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 two things. Two things. Two things. Number one, to Dan's point, people are buying it on the monthly plan. I read data. Something like eighty percent of buyers are now using the monthly payment. So I agree. The eleven hundred bucks looks scary. You know what that is? Bucks. But then they say, don't, yeah, don't ah. worry, it's only another $42 a month. I wonder about that. But we have been here before with Apple, where there's been a quarterly worry about production, right. supply, and demand, and then they make it up the next quarter, and everybody realizes they overreacted. Could that be happening here? Well, look, fis <clears throat> fiscal Q1 for them is going to be a record quarter. They're going to be as profitable as they've been since their record quarter of 2015. So let's be clear. It's not yeah. lean times for Apple. Yeah, do we care about you? You know what happened at that record? You know what happened after that record quarter in 2015? The stock sold off 33%. Over the next nine so months. So you're going to sell it into the hole here, Dan. You know what it also did in 2012? It sold off 45%. Are you, so you're going to sell it into the hole, What I'm saying is this stock actually gets sold on products. Do we care about units or do we care about yeah, but, but Dan brings up a good no, point, though. It has, sold, it has sold off, but it has recovered, too. So there, there's enough in this oh, no. for everyone to win. So longer term, the stock is still intact. Longer term, it's still an iPhone-dependent company. Longer term, I'm still long because I've been rewarded with higher prices as you go forward as a long-term holder. You see my point. Do we care yep. about units or do we care about profit? We care about units. Profit. We care about we care about, we care about units margins. because it's the growth. You're comparing it against everything else. And where is that revenue growth? Do we come need from? to think about That's growth with Apple anymore, BK, profitable. when everybody in the world has a smartphone? Right. Why is this a growth story?
It's not the a growth is services. Listen, you know, there, Apple's- there, was, there was a short period of time where you had this upgrade growth cycle. Cycle, and to Dan's point, it looks like it came short of expectations, if not hashtag. But we've failed. been here before. To, to to Brian's point, we've been here before. That's right. And the stock still what's maintains. Next? Apple's number two business services, the App Store, iTunes, is I'm bigger margin, is bigger than Facebook's entire business. Their number two business, but it's a it's tiny for Apple. That's the problem you have. But but ultimately, it is relative to itself moving significantly. And we're at a place here. If you think about what people's expectations were for this refresh cycle, they were massive. Think of where we were on the stock in September. This stock had as big of a move into their most important season. Are you really surprised? It's been a little bit weak here. Um, look, this is the cheapest mega cap tech story by far. When you think about the 50 billion in free cash flow they generate every quarter in an 18 percent effective tax environment, these guys can do what they. Want, okay, and they can buy back a lot of shares, and I think they probably will. All right, it's like a verbal game of Crossy Road here. Let's take the emotion out of this oh, and get more on why? Apple. Let's get now to Chart Master Carter Worth. Carter, strip out everything you just heard. Tell us what the charts are telling you. All right, so the sixth person to weigh in here. So uh, here's the chart. Um, let's draw some lines, figure it out. Trend line, here it comes. It's very precise. This is the arithmetic uh, chart, not a logarithmic. And what we know is that this has responded quite well, consistently and reliably off this line. My hunch is we're actually going to break this um, by a small amount. Here's what I'm looking at next. The 150 moving average has served as a perfect stopping point um, as distinct from the 200. Let me just make a point. The 200 moving average is way down here. More inputs, slower moving line. And this stock has literally bounced to the penny, to the penny, to the penny off the line. The implied move tomorrow is about 3.5%, 4%. I'm thinking we're going to go right to the line, uh, a slight dip. That would then give us a 10% sell-off uh, peak to trough. So I think it's going to be a down move. I think it's going to be less than uh, other moves. Average is about four and a quarter. And that you should take advantage of that if one is so lucky to get that moment. Let's look at a few other things. Um, some of the things that are uh, on the worrisome side that, that Dan would uh, probably be uh, interested in and is surely watching. Relative performance is poor. The thing about Apple, even as it's gone up and even as it's been able to make new highs, its relative performance has been stalling and, in fact, has broken below the 100 million average. Let's look at this another way. Um, here's the chart. And what we've seen, really, just the ability to move up while your relative performance is poor to the market means that people, while they might be buying, they're buying other things with a greater interest. And that often is a foreshadowing of something not right. And then, finally, this is really interesting, um, not because I did it, just because it's a chart that's interesting. 2012 to present, the stock is up 30 40 percent, and yet this is a perfect double top in the relative. It literally has stopped right on that line. Let me draw it for you, see if it's in there, and there it is. Um, the stock has made no net performance in about five years. So either this is the setup for the final stall, um, something uh, in line with the, the bearish view. My hunch is it's going to be a minor sell-off into its earnings. All right, Carter. Why don't you come on over to the desk now? Welcome, nice. Carter. Nice to see you. I'll grab a seat. Yeah. Is that the most great yeah, water? What is that? I have no idea what Fantastic. it is, but it's like these guys had just met. I mean, it's interesting, too, because we're all the stuff we talked about, Carter, 
the charts, they take that out. The known information, the well, rumors of speculation. That's the idea well, behind the chart. They don't take it out. What they are, the charts are all those things. Well, I mean, right? what I meant was they, stri they strip out the emotion, sure. as well, so all the so yelling. The chart is the collective judgment, right, of all market participants, from the largest well, we holders, do. page one holders, to the most aggressive speculators on the street. And what we do know is that the stock exhibits poor relative strength. The question is, you talked about the 15 multiple. You talked about they can do whatever they want with their work. Perhaps uh, a great deal of what's coming, I think it will be light or, or a miss, is priced in. We're down 6.6% from the high. The 150 million average would come into play at a down 10%, so about another 3.5%. My hunch is that's what's going to happen. Okay. So, Carter, it sells off 3% after the earnings. Is it a buy at that point? I'm, I'm, I'm interested in it off the line. Okay. Can I ask you this, though, Carter? Yeah. So you're calling for a 10% peak to trough. It's already done two-thirds of that, okay? Two, two other times over the last year, its stock has sold off 9% peak to trough. We're in a broad market that actually has gone, oh, what, 400 days or something without the longest period in 90 years without a 5% peak to trough. What does that mean the biggest stock in the market has 9% drawdowns, but the biggest drawdowns... It's incredible, the, isn't it? So well, what does it mean for the broad market? It's more, there's more risk in the Caterpillars and Boeings. I mean, that's, that's the reality, right? The cyclical names... Um, are much more uh, sort of overowned, if you ever use that phrase. No one quite knows what that means, right? Um, but the, the growth names uh, always have the prospects of falling back on their growth. But wouldn't you then be worried about the triple Qs when 16% when of them are Apple and Facebook, which have done almost and, nothing, yeah. and Amazon has gone through the roof? And, and so, even Intel gave you a turbo And, and then the week. interesting thing is, one of the things you guys were talking about is that, that weakness or strength going into a quarter, that there's great risk if you're steep. Often, it's actually the opposite. If there's a lot of momentum, while well, you talk about Google being Steve and Amazon, it's, they often get those freakish Netflix-type moves. It's that strength that foreshadows something really powerful, whereas it's the weakness, like an Apple being a little dodgy, that is the foreshadowing of something. Quick, quickly, before we get to who's buying Apple, Steve Grasso, if Apple does go down, continues to go down, right. will it drag all of tech down with it? Uh, I don't think so. I, mean, I think the reason why you see those hockey sticks, and that was going to be my question to Carter, is it a zero-sum game? Who do you think has benefited the most out of Apple's weakness? Because when guys trade this, they trade them as groups. So it comes out of one, it goes into another if they want to be fully invested. Anybody here buying Apple today? No, but I, I recently it. Damp, I, I buy it exactly like Carter said. It drops 3%. I, I do think you buy this for if a you, trade. If you own it and you're long it, that's the equivalent of you buying it today because you're staying long it. So okay. I'm long it. Much more ahead, including Steve Wynn under fire after shocking allegations of sexual assault are hitting him and his investors. A special report on Wynn next. Plus, while you were watching Bitcoin get cut in half in the past month, you might have been missing out on some other major crypto moves. We'll tell you which coins have been tearing it up and which ones our own BK is buying. And later on, Steve Grasso has one name that's up 50% in the past year, but he says is about to break out. Hopefully he'll break out the razor next time he comes on the show. <laughs> We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money, a taking stock and a furious ex-wife. That is where we pick up on the Steve Wynn sexual assault saga. Jane Wells joining us out more on this developing story. Jane. Hey, Brian, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Well, what could be problems for Steve Wynn may also be problems for his ex. He is saying all these allegations are coming out from a bitter dispute with ex-wife Elaine. She denies it. It's complicated. Elaine Wynn actually founded the company with her ex-husband, and it's hard to find anyone in Las Vegas outside of him who will say a bad word about her. 
The two actually married and divorced twice, and the second divorce settlement in 2010 bars her from selling her shares in large amounts without her husband's permission. He essentially controls her stake. That's Steve Wynn with his new wife. Uh, so Elaine's been fighting in court to change all that. But the knives actually started coming out in 2012 when another co-founder of the company, Japanese billionaire Katsuo Okada, sued Wynn. After Wynn accused Okada of bribery, kicked him off the board, former OJ attorney Robert Shapiro was brought in to help Wynn. Wynn took Okada's shares away from him until 2022, and Elaine Wynn argues that invalidates his control over her shares. Then in 2015, Elaine also lost her board seat. It has been mostly winning for Wynn. Until now, as you look at what some of the analysts are saying today, here are things they're concerned about. State gaming officials could revoke his license if they determine he's not a good character or honest or his actions bring bad publicity to the state. If removed, Morgan Stanley says Wynn's bylaws would force Steve Wynn to sell his 12% stake and possibly also sell Elaine's 9% stake since he controls it. Some analysts believe Wynn's business in Vegas will suffer, but not so much in Macau, where most of the money comes from. Barclay suggests the sale of the company is, quote, the most likely outcome. And in a twist, Brian, UBS lowered its rating to neutral from buy, but raised the price target 20 bucks to a dollar, a buck, 194. Well, it's not going to a buck 94, at least not yet. Back to you. Yeah, not yet. Jane Wells, thank you very much. All right, guys, let's trade this. I mean, I think Jane brings up a good point. Las Vegas Sands, run by Sheldon Adelson. Sheldon Adelson and Steve Wynn, both friends of the Republican Party. Las Vegas Sands, $59 billion market cap. Wynn, $18 billion market cap. Do you believe that Steve Wynn's company is a takeout target? Uh, not right now. No. And I think there's still a lot of people that are, need to see certain pieces fall into place. But on the valuation, Brian, where you're going with this is, Win is very, very cheap. It, you know, around 12 and a half times after this move, 2019 EBITDA leaves it trading, you know, kind of two spins cheaper than when LVS is. So um, the reality is, I don't think people know what's going to happen on the capital market side. You could see a lot of shares forced into the market. Could investors get shares cheaper? I think so. If, if you look at Win, Win was Win was uh, the poster child. Everyone loved. It was the Macau play. So was Las Vegas Sands. Las Vegas Sands is up 13 percent. MGM is up 13 percent. It's the inverse. They they're reliant on Vegas versus Macau. I think ultimately Win is going to be a buy. It's way too early to start taking stabs in the dark on Win. Way too, too early much. to start buying the stock. Way now. too early yeah, to start yeah, because I mean, this is a company where where you could see the problem right now appears to be Steve Wynn, the man, right. and possibly the board for either ignorance or complicity. It's I, not I, the I company, even... but if it starts to become the company and you remove the problem, maybe the value is there. Maybe the value is there, but between here and there, there's just so many more tape bombs. I mean, we haven't even talked about any corporations potentially canceling events at this. We, I mean, this is day two of this, and we've seen the history of CEOs in this situation has not very, been very favorable. So I would just say you don't need to buy it today, right? There's plenty of other ways to play but, gaming. You don't need to buy win today. But, but without making any statement on... on you know, what this means socially. Um, clearly, this is different than a Weinstein because Wynn has assets. I mean, there's an asset value. Here. There's current operations. There's a pipeline. It's very healthy. And, and I think that's ultimately where yeah. investors have a, but, a look at this. But company. don't you think a good bit of the brand is tied up in that name? And so you take him out, right? And you take the name, his signature, off the big hotels, and then you rebrand it. I mean, isn't there some I don't value know. Look at the rest of the, look, be, at the, look at the rest of the gaming industry, though, Dan. It's been on fire. Every one of these names. I don't, I don't think it's just been win story the one thing, him. The one thing I think you need to worry about, that we're, this is fast money. We talk about equities. But I was looking at some of the bonds, specifically the, the five and a half 
coupon, one of the ones that's due in, I think, 2027, down almost 4% today. The, so now the bonds of Wynn Resort are starting to be hit. That is just something else that you need to watch that is unsexy. It's hard to talk about. The, the market, to, to Dan's point, the market is quantifying what the Wynn name is worth, and we're seeing it come out of the name right now. So is it is it over? I don't know. There was a lot of tentacles that we just opened up this story. There's a lot of negativity that could potentially happen, and I think it's way too early to start nipping at it. Yeah. It will It will spike higher one day. I don't think today's the day, though. Okay, still ahead. Steve Grasso says that despite a 50% jump in the past year, this tech stock is worth <laughs> your money. That name ahead. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. This means that another party on your line is using the telephone. I always feel like me. You mean like the U.S. government? An explosive report has some investors talking a D.C. takeover of telecom. And the fear could be creating a perfect buying opportunity. We'll explain. Plus, Bitcoin bull Tom Lee says a major shift is happening in the world of cryptocurrencies. And it could have big implications for Bitcoin. And he'll tell us what that is when Fast Money returns. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. While you were watching Bitcoin, an almost 600% stealth rally was happening in another crypto commodity. Our Seema Modi has those details back at HQ. Seema. Brian, that is right. Bitcoin hit a high to $20,000 near December 18th of 2017. Since then, Bitcoin has lost about 37% of its value. But not all cryptocurrencies have performed poorly during that same time period. Smaller altcoins that have a market cap of less than $3 billion have outperformed. The standout Ray Blocks, a cryptocurrency which, point, which promises nearly instantaneous transaction speed, is up about 600%. Larger cryptos with market caps of over 10 billion have also done well. Stellar, a global money transfer system with real-time settlement, it's up 130%. NEO, a platform which utilizes smart contracts like Ethereum, has posted gains of 97%, while Ripple's cryptocurrency XRP is up about 80%. Ethereum, by the way, has also been staging a rebound, currently trading close to its all-time high. Experts say this move highlights a broader rotation into other cryptocurrencies, a strategy used by mainstream traders who missed out on the Bitcoin rally and are now looking to find the next Bitcoin by investing in newer coins that offer similar or even more complex functionality than Bitcoin, Brian. All right, Seema, thank you very much. All right, so BK, you own Stellar. What's your I take? own Stellar. Yeah, I, I, and I still love Stellar. I mean, what, what you see happening is when Bitcoin starts to go down or weaken a bit, people start to rotate out into these other coins. So you look at Stellar and NEO, one that I own, and EOS, uh, another one that I own. Those are your bigger platform plays that are being built on, people are building on top of it. So people are, there is a bit of dispersion going on. You don't necessarily have to just look at Bitcoin and go, oh, things are falling apart. There's a lot more going on in this market than just meets the eye. Stellar, NEO, EOS, sounds like the so, Pattern car lineup. Brian, put a little more, though, uh, detail into why, you know, why relative value? What is this? What is this trade out of a Bitcoin into a Stellar? What, what does Stellar do? What is So Stellar is very similar to Ripple in that it's a global settlement currency. They have a deal uh, with IBM to work with IBM's internal blockchain called Hyperledger. So potentially, you know, you look at, at Ripple, which is going after the banks, Stellar might be something that goes after retailer, goes after the supply chain, and it becomes the settlement currency globally. So if I look at the total addressable market of a supply chain coin, 
it's much bigger than something maybe that Bitcoin's going after. You know, Bitcoin's uh, going after gold, digital gold, $7 trillion market cap or potential market there. If Ripple and or Stellar goes after global M1, that's a $100 trillion market. So there is a bigger market for these yeah. guys to go after than the digital gold that Bitcoin's going after. Okay, your next guest says, though, this may just be the beginning of what he calls the great crypto rotation. Let's bring in Fundstrat's Tom Lee, who is joining us from Phoenix, Arizona. Tom, what do you mean by that, the great crypto rotation? From what to what? Uh, well, you know, we think... 2018 is going to be a story about rotation, um, but the rotation we're referring to is between the smaller altcoins and the large platform tokens that you guys were just talking about. Um, one of the signals that we've seen is in, if you look at each of the last four years, whenever altcoins, the smaller ones, rally more than 300%, and in January, mid-January, 78% of small cap tokens rallied at least 300% in the past three months. That generally marks a peak, and then we start to see a rotation into large-cap quality tokens. And, you know, there's fundamental reasons supporting that. So we think we're starting to see this move into sort of the top 10 tokens, and that should actually help large-caps rally. Okay, define a large-cap quality token, because, I, I mean, at this point in the game, Tom, it's so early. We're not talking about a 50-year-old blue-chip company. Even the oldest token is yeah. maybe a, a couple of years, if not a couple of months old. Well, that's, yeah, um, that's one of the interesting things, right, is that, uh, you know, the oldest token is, is you know, eight years old, um, but there have been a lot of cycles. So, I, you know, to us, large cap tokens are ones that were pre-2017 and have, you know, an established team, uh, you know, actually, you know, a roadmap that they've been following and, you know, a sort of a, a, a built-in support base. So, you know, it... There are very few large, you know, multi-billion dollar tokens um, that have been around pre-2017. So those are the ones that we think are the large, and we, we, we amalgamate these into the FS Crypto FX10 index. Hey, Tom, it's BK. So I'm curious, what, what you're seeing here is, you know, I talked a little bit about Bitcoin being digital gold. These other platform tokens, relative value-wise, let's take NEO or perhaps EOS, I think, is one that you meant. The, you know, they're much lower market cap than Bitcoin. When you look at this valuation-wise, relative value, does that mean something like an EOS should equal the, the, the market cap of Bitcoin? Well, there's just a lot more potential, right, Brian? I mean, in some ways, like, if, I, if we look at, NEO in its development, it looks a lot like Ethereum did at the at the start of 2017. So um, you know there there's a lot of potential for uh, NEO, the NEOs, and the you know even EOSs to to do quite well. So I I actually think the the easiest uh, use case for cryptocurrencies actually is store value today, which is is Bitcoin. But I think the financial corridors are, are obviously very obvious use cases, and I think that's what these, these tokens are addressing. You have a price target on, on Bitcoin, Tom Lee? Yes. Um, we think it's going to reach at least 25000 by the end of 2018, so it's more than a double from here. How, how do you get to that? Because you don't have earnings to model off of, right? It's just pure supply, demand, and scarcity. Well... You know, er, you have virtual earnings on cryptocurrencies because there are uh, rewards paid to miners and then there's, uh, you know, transaction fees. Um, one of the things that, you know, cryptocurrencies don't have is they don't have cash flow. 
And I think that's really what's tripping up a lot of investors. But if you look at the vast majority of large cap tech stocks, they're not distributing that cash flow to shareholders. And in the same way, the blockchain is owned by everyone who owns the coins. If you had accumulated yep. all the Bitcoin that's out there, you actually own the blockchain. So it's it's not that different. It's you know it is a present value okay. basis. Tom Lee, very bullish, twenty five grand. Tom, thank you very much. Enjoy Phoenix, nice and warm. Quickly, what Thanks. do you think? Listen, I'm bullish on the entire asset class. So you I mean, love, you love that. Still you love a that wall of money coming at this place. So even if you don't believe in the tech, believe that there's a ton of money coming in to buy a limited supply. Isn't that the rotation? I, I know we're not, we don't have a lot of time here. But, I mean, you know, the rotation into smaller cap coins, is it really fundamentals or is it really guys rolling down to cheaper assets because they think they're going to go higher? There, there is. So there's two things. There is one element of people saying, what's the cheapest coin I can buy because I want to buy a lot? That's yep. a crazy reason to buy it. And there's also some valuation. Right, people on. do it with stocks, too. They split yeah. the stock. Stock goes up. It's the same stock, just cut in half. All right. Sticking with the coin, will Bitcoin boost tech earnings? One Wall Street analyst says that the crypto craze could create a boon for one name that is reporting this week. We'll get details. Plus, Grasso making his way over to the plasma, warming up to pitch. The one stock, he says, is about to take off. Can he convince the other traders or will they just troll him? Fast Money back right after this. All right, welcome back. It is time for our instant replay. If you remember, all the way back in May, Steve Grasso said that Square was poised for a breakout. It's up 36% year to date. I've caught roughly 30% of that ride. I do believe that this stock can move drastically higher from here. Let's call it another 30% from here, having a banner year because they have that much growth ahead of them. And what a call that was. Square shares are not only up 30%, but a whopping 145% since that pitch. Steve Grasso, great call. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's a great company. It's not a payment processor. It's a service company as well as a payment processor. It's up 31% year to date, and it still has a lot higher to to go quote Huey Lewis, it's hip to be square. True. Or it's hip to buy square. Okay. But what do you do now? Okay, I'm still long the stock. I think this stock still has a bunch more upside. ISI, I believe that was the sell-side research firm, equated it to Amazon in the early stages based on you can't figure out its valuation, looking at it right now, tremendous upside ahead. Okay, well, since you hit it out of the park with that one, why don't you head over to the plasma with another home run idea? All right. Okay, so this is the home run idea. Twitter. You guys have heard us talk about this on the desk numerous times over the years. And it's, it's always sort of, when is it going to break out? When is it going to break out? Now, with the no-do news of, of him leaving, that this guy's a rock star, was a genuine rock star. You can't argue with his resume. But if you look at the rebound, the market didn't see him as the turnaround name. He went to go become a CEO because it wasn't going to happen for him at Twitter. When you look at the stock right now, you have uh, the, the uh, ability for a potential takeout. We've heard rumors about Google. We've heard rumors about Salesforce. So that is still hanging out there. Now, if you look at what they're capable of, they can be Instagram. They can be YouTube. And now with Facebook Twitter, uh, uh, tweaking their news feed, they can be a new, the news service of today and tomorrow. Upside is tremendous from here. 
Wow, Twitter, the fast wow. pitch there. Anybody got a question for Steve? You know what I do? Hey, Steve, BK here, first-time caller, long-time listener. Love your work. Uh, <laughs> today we heard a lot about some fake uh, followers, fake accounts on Twitter. Does that concern you at all about this? Sure. I mean, all of this has to be concerning, but I think right now Facebook is in the crosshairs as far as rules and regulations and D.C., so I don't think you're going to get Twitter getting that backlash that Facebook is getting, especially uh, from the fact that the president uses Twitter. He doesn't use Facebook. I think this one is going to escape most of those headwinds. All right, guys. Well, and by the way, Steve, keeping this big story in the New York Times over the weekend about buying all the fake followers, just, just something to watch, something to be on the radar there. Okay, no more questions. It is time to vote. Are you buying Grasso's pitch? And by you, I mean us and you, of course. Tim. I'm a buyer. BK. Yeah, look at, look at the chart on this thing. The bigger the base, the higher in space, as Louise Yamada would say. I think you buy this one on the breakout. Dan. Uh, yeah, I'm also a buyer. And I think on a relative basis to Snap, when you look at a $16 billion enterprise value to Snap's 14 to me, I think you buy Twitter all day long. Wow. Steve Grasso, not only the, the nice chart, yep, you got I'm, three buys. Yeah. Buys all the way around the desk. And the folks at home, yeah. I let's mean, see what they, they say. They're, they're, they're the they're final do arbiter the here. Let's see so, if they're retweeting. Well, let's find We're out. Easy. We're By easy. the way, the buyers at home are out there because the stock is up about 2% after hours Boom. on that pitch. Does this make you want to follow the stock? Well, head over to Twitter. <laughs> Talk about Twitter on Twitter. It all seems to come back. Very Go to our poll at CNBC Fast wow. Money. Boom. We're going to reveal the results later on in the show. Plus, is the government taking over parts of telecom? New reports surfacing that the Trump administration is considering buying into the national wireless network. How likely is that scenario? Craig Moffat will be here to weigh in much more fast right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. That We have got a news alert on MetLife. That stock is sinking after hours. Let's find out why with Morgan Brennan. Morgan. Hey, Brian, that's right. So shares of MetLife tumbling in after hours trade right now after the insurer pre-announced preliminary earnings and rescheduled the release and subsequent call. Why? It's revising prior financial reports because of overdue monthly pension benefits that it had failed to pay to potentially tens of thousands of workers in the past. Now, MetLife did disclose that last month, but as of today, it has determined that, quote, prior release of group annuity reserves resulted in material weakness in internal control over financial reporting. In other words, it needs to set aside an additional 525 to $575 million pre-tax to fund those pension-related reserves. Now, the insurer, which had managed other, has been managing other companies' retirement benefits for decades, also disclosing that the SEC has made an inquiry and that the insurance giant is not aware of any intentional wrongdoing in connection with the matter. MetLife now expects adjusted fourth quarter earnings of 61 to 66 cents per share. That is far below the $1.08 consensus estimate. Now, the company was supposed to report later this week. That's been pushed back two weeks to after the bell, February 13th, with an earnings call scheduled for the following morning. Shares are down 5 6% right now. That's a big move for the stock, and it's pretty heavy volume. Back it over is. to you. Yeah, Morgan, insurers generally do not move like that. Wow, no. this is really interesting. BK, 
coming to yeah. MetLife. And remember, by the way, <laughs> what blew up GE's number about, what was it, last week or two weeks ago, was problems in their, in their long-term so care. Exa- right. Insurance so, has got an issue right now. Insurance, pensions, they have an issue. We know we've been in a relatively low volatility, low return environment for a while, and you have a lot of people that are retiring. So insurance has an issue. I, I don't know if this is isolated just to MetLife. I don't want to necessarily say that. But it's something to watch for sure because it's not the first instance that you mentioned with, with the numbers last week. So watch the space. Watch going on. This could be a canary in the coal mine. All right, thank you. Well, let's switch gears here. Telecom companies also on watch. This follows a report out of Axios that the Trump administration may be looking to nationalize part of the high-speed 5G mobile network. Julia Borston out in L.A. breaking down that story. Julia. Brian, that's right. According to Axios, a proposal by a National Security Council official involves an unprecedented nationalization of infrastructure. The idea is that the federal government would pay for and build a single 5G network as a way to achieve a centralized nationwide 5G network within three years. All the telcos, Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, and T-Mobile, dropping over 1% today on concerns about their investments in 5G. FCC Chairman Ajit Pai coming out against the idea, saying, quote, the main lesson to draw from the wireless sector's development over the past three decades, including American leadership in 4G, is that the market, not the government, is best positioned to drive innovation and investment. The Wireless Industries Trade Association, CTIA, coming out in agreement with Chairman Pai, while Democratic Senator Mark Warner, a former telecom executive, saying, quote, I'm concerned that constructing a nationalized 5G network would be both expensive and duplicative, particularly at a time when the administration is proposing to slash critical federal investments in R&D and broadband support for unserved areas. Now, Axios reports that this idea will be debated for months, but AT&T is already well on its way with 5G. AT&T says it's set to be the first to launch mobile 5G service in a dozen locations later this year. Guys, back over to you. All right, Julia, thank you. For more, let us bring in now Craig Moffat, Senior Research Analyst at Moffat Nathanson. Axios done a great job in about a year that they've been in existence here, Craig, but do you buy this report? No, look, I, I, part of our job is to separate signal from noise. This is pure noise. There, there is a 0.0% chance that this is is 0.0? I mean, there's... Why? It, well, it, it is <laughs> neither technologically sound. I mean, it is... Politically, it's kind of bizarre that it comes from the Republicans. If, if it came from Bernie Sanders, you know, you would think, right. you know, uh, but it's so uh, there's there's going to be no political support for it. Um, there's no money for it. it. There's no laws that would support it. it it's and reading why did the, report the stocks itself, then, Craig, with all due respect, why did the stocks move? Well, on actually, this they, they did early this morning. By the end of the day, I think that was all out. I mean, look, the telecoms um, responded to the fact that that the 10 year rose. And so telecoms and all the yield sensitive sectors sold off. Charter, I think, was back to where it was in line with the market today. Um, so I think most people perceive this to be kind of a kooky story. If there's any kernel to this, any kernel at all, it's that you can read it as there's a sort of protectionist undertone to it, which is that from an equipment perspective, we don't like the idea of Chinese telecom equipment coming to the U.S. market. So Huawei and ZTE, you could see today they're, they're, they, 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 you don't use them in networks that are used by the government. You could see a broader prohibition on Chinese telecom equipment in general. And there seems to be an undercurrent in the report itself about trying to foster 
a U.S. manufacturing capability in telecom, but this idea of a nationalized telecom service is a complete non-starter. So trade protectionism disguised as national security. That's right. There, there's, there's no part of this, though, as a telecom for telecom carriers. There's no part of this proposal that seems serious. So when you look at 5G and when you look at uh, the AT&T in that earlier report was supposed to be at the <laughs> forefront, but then you, you look at Verizon, the takeout of straight path. What happened to that? Isn't Verizon positioned with the, mo with the most spectrum well, yeah, at this point? Yeah, so remember, 5G is a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It, it is, most importantly, it's a technological standard. Um, but it is also, for some people, a set of frequencies, is so-called millimeter wave or very high frequencies. Um, and then for some people, it's a use case, things like driver driverless cars and IoT. Um, the only one that's really 5G of those is the technology standard. And Verizon is probably a bit ahead. They certainly have the most spectrum. And part of what the technology standard requires is extraordinarily wide blocks of spectrum. So today's report from, that was reported on by Axios, for example, talks about doing it in mid-band. Well, there aren't mid-band blocks that are wide enough to do it. So technologically, it's sort of goofy, right? Um, but, uh, but, Verizon, term. <laughs> but Verizon is the only one that actually has millimeter wave spectrum in those, wide, those very wide bands today that they could do it. And there are, even there, there are real questions about, well, what can you do with it, right? How well does it penetrate? walls and windows and, and propagate through trees and snow and rain and all that sort of thing. And so there's a lot of question marks around it, but Verizon is probably ahead of anyone else, um, uh, uh, probably not AT&T. And let's be clear, 5G, for what our audience, you know, they may not be familiar with it, obviously, because they're probably just getting used to LTE and 4G. I mean, it's ridiculous how fast it moves, but it is ridiculous how fast 5G is going to move. Well, this, is this going to eliminate wireline, hardwired? Because no, right now, so no, much no, no, value is no. literally that fiber optic cable and a physical connection to your house. And something happens, and some dudes have to come out and repair it. Is this going to be able to make a stream two-hour movies seamlessly to everything wireless at our house? No. Um, I mean, look, it'll be it'll be a, a, a step function better. Um, but the idea that this is this is kind of some dream technology, you know, the physics are, are the physics. Um, Look, I, I think actually what's happened, one of the use cases that people talk about is fixed wireless broadband and substituting for wired broadband. As you get a little closer to it, I think people have come to the view that that is going to be a little bit less likely than they would have thought three, six months ago. Um, you know, you, the, the physics of whether or not, you know, you can find all the places that are dense enough to sort of make the math work, but then does the angle of incidence from a telephone pole and the radio on a telephone pole get past the first row of houses? And does it penetrate trees well enough to work? And that's that kind of thing. Does it work in markets that are that are not already that, yeah. that aren't so dense that they aren't already wired by fiber? Um, the the use case for it for fixed wireless broadband looks to be somewhat limited, actually, um, and and probably getting more so as we learn more about it. All right, Craig. Uh, Craig Moffat throwing a little bit of water on that report there. We appreciate your insight as always. Thank you very much. Okay. Guys? I think uh, he said something really important. He said, look at what's going on with the 10-year. You know, look at what we've seen in yield-related names. Look at the utilities over the last month and a half, that sort of thing. I think that's probably a bigger headwind to these stocks right now than anything from a technological standpoint. That's a good point. Sometimes it's not... 
we tie them together, but we shouldn't because there were two separate things, but they seem like they should fit. Craig, thank you. We'll look forward to seeing you again. My Appreciate pleasure it. to be back. All right, still ahead. It is the one tech stock reporting this week that a Wall Street analyst thinks could get a big boost from the crypto craze. That name ahead. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Let's take a look at AMD. Advanced micro devices jumping nearly 3% after getting a price target increase today from MKM Partners. That firm saying the rise in crypto mining could give a big boost to the chip maker as it prepares to report its earnings tomorrow night. Just this year, the stock has soared nearly 30%. The options market is implying huge moves for AMD on earnings. Dan Nathan at the Plasma Break down what's expected of those moves. Sure, there. Um, See, listen, I would say the the key word there was could provide big upside. This company did see upside, revenue upside in 2017 from crypto mining, but they've also were very clear in November and December saying they are not factoring in upside for 2018. So that could be one reason why the options and market is implying a pretty big move, about 10% in either direction the day after they report earnings. On average, over the last four quarters, the stock has moved 15 percent call volume today kind of ran hot two and a half times that of puts but the most activity was really interesting it was in the weekly options and the 13 and a half strike that expired this Friday in the calls and the puts there was about 25,000 of each to trade it. it looked like this is a volatility setup when you buy a call and you buy a put in the same strike in the same expiration that is called buying a straddle to make money on that you need the stock to move greater than the purchase price of those combined uh, call and put. That is about 10%. That is the implied movement. So this trader could be looking for a bigger than expected move. I just want to look at this one-year chart. We saw this gap after earnings. We saw that gap after earnings. The stock, like Sully just said, is up 30%. It's trying to fill in that earnings gap from Q3 here. So this one could be poised for a big move one way or another. And just lastly, let's look at the five-year chart here. It's obviously been in this kind of descending, whatever you want to call it here. So to me, I'm expecting a big move, at least 10% in either direction. Wow. 10% in either direction. That is a big move. AMD. Thank you very much, Dan. Nathan, just remind, if you like options, check out the whole show. Options action, 5.30 p.m. every single Friday. All right. Up next, are you buying Grasso's earlier pitch for Twitter? Someone out there is. The stock is up after hours, nearly 2%. You can vote in our poll at CNBC Fast Money. We're going to show you the results right after this break. You know what is trending on Twitter right now? I had the time of my life. Ah, so special. Because America is buying Grasso's pitch on Twitter. Stock almost almost 2% in the after hours. By the way, you know Dirty Dancing, the movie, you know where it's filmed? Virginia Tech. Time for final trades. Go around the horn, Tim. Zemex, thank you, Brian, for being here. Steve. Nobody puts Tim in a corner. Twitter. PK. Practice what I preach. Another way to play cryptocurrencies, Taiwan Semi, TSM. Ken? Uh, AT&T, I think you saw it. AT&T, there you go. Steve Grasso always practice what he peaches. Another fruits. Thanks for watching, everybody. Mad Money with Jim Cramer (laughs) begins right now. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit. New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC.